Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. I spent, uh, spent last weekend speaking out at camp, so I had to kind of resist asking you guys how much sleep you got, because that's, that's what you do at camp. You want to know how much sleep people got, right? So when I was younger, I, I played on a baseball team. I absolutely loved it. That's what I spent my entire summer doing. It's what I would focus on throughout the school year, too, is like, if I just like make it through a little bit longer, I get to play baseball. That was like my whole world when I was growing up. Um, and when you're playing baseball, you have, you have multiple coaches, especially at the level that I was at. You had, like, coaches designated to specific areas. So I had, like, a pitching coach, a batting coach, an infield coach, an outfield coach, a catcher's coach. So we had a lot of coaches. And, when, and coaches are there to, you know, help guide you. Uh, and there were, there were times where I would have a great time with my coaches. And what they would tell me to improve myself would make a ton of sense. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess what I am doing is, like, a little bit wrong if I do that. It'll make me better. And then there were other times where my coach would come up to me and be like, oh, as you're pitching, your motion isn't quite smooth, or like, you need to put your arm here instead of here. Or I also played first base, and they'd be like, oh, well, like, you aren't standing on the base properly. You actually need to stand here. And when they would tell me those things, sometimes I'd be like, what are you talking about? What I'm doing is working fine. When I'm pitching, I'm throwing strikes, and when I'm on first base, I'm getting people out on first base. So why, why is what I'm doing wrong? And it just didn't make sense. They were trying to equip me. I didn't want to listen to them because I thought that what I was doing was right. I would, I would also really like to watch baseball. So me and my dad, we'd sit together and we'd watch the Blue Jays as often as we could. And oftentimes, while we were sitting there watching baseball, I'd actually see the MLB players doing what my coach was telling me to do. Because when I would watch baseball, absolutely I would love watching everything as a whole, but I would really focus in and be like, okay, what exactly kind of motions is the pitcher doing? Where exactly is the first baseman standing? How is he moving? And I'd realize, oh, my coach was telling me that I needed to do it exactly like that professional baseball player is doing. And I'd, I'd realize, like, maybe I'm in the wrong. Maybe my coach actually is there for, for the better of myself so I can better do my job. And I just didn't really want to listen to them. So today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 144. The psalm was written by David, uh, talking a little bit about the different trials and how God equipped him during his life. So before we get into what the psalm actually says, I just want to give you guys some background on who David is as a person uh, and some of the things that happened in his life. I know that a lot of the times when we come up here and preach, we will mention somebody's name and then give some direct background to the specific passage. But a lot of you guys are like, I don't actually know what that person did in their life. I've heard like a couple stories here and there and sometimes don't really piece them together. So we're going to quickly go through some of the major events in David's life. So at a young age, uh, David was anointed as the future king of Israel. Uh, He wasn't made the official king yet, but he was pretty young. He was still a shepherd at that point uh, because that was what his family did. They were shepherds. They watched over flocks. Uh, Then David, after after a little while of... um, you know, being a shepherd, uh, David was actually put into Saul's service. So Saul was the current king over all of Israel. The Philistines then gathered an army 
uh, for war, and David was the one who actually defeated their champion, Goliath. So most of you guys probably know that story of David and Goliath, not something big and surprising for you. So after that happened, King Saul became jealous of David. He tried to kill David and failed many times. So Saul actually sent him away and was like, I don't want you in my direct service anymore. You can go command a thousand guys over here, but like, don't come back here. After a short while, Saul then forgives David, um, but that doesn't last very long. It was a very short period of time. And Saul becomes jealous of David again and tries to kill him again. So David then flees from city to city, staying away from Saul. David then led his men, those men that uh, Saul gave him command over, against the Amalekites, another group of people uh, in, in battle, and David won. After that, David was then anointed as a king of Judah, and then later after Saul died, was anointed as king, officially king over Israel as well. Uh, then after he was king, after he was made king over both places, uh, he goes to war with the Philistines multiple times. It wasn't just once. It was like a couple different times. And he defeated them each time. He then takes a break from going to battle against all his different enemies because although the Philistines were one of like their bigger enemies, they the Israelites had a bunch of different enemies. So David took some time, uh, took, took a break. And during that break, he had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. Uh, and David, David saw that it was Braun because Bathsheba also had a husband. So David had her husband killed because he wanted her all to himself. Uh, David then leaves Jerusalem because he learns that his son, Absalom, is planning to overthrow him as king. So David once again is fleeing away from the country that God appointed him, anointed him as king over. Uh, David's son, Absalom, then gets killed in a battle against David. So Absalom, David's own son, tries to overthrow him, then goes to battle against him, trying to kill him, and ends up being the one killed. David then mourns uh, his death and then returns to Jerusalem. Again, the Philistines went to battle against David and the Israelites. And again, David won. Not really a surprise here based on his track record. And in this battle, he defeated four more giants who are believed to be uh, the brothers of Goliath. David then builds an altar to God, makes Solomon the king. Solomon is the guy who, appointed, who anointed David to be king, and then he dies. So that was a decent amount of information, and it wasn't a full, complete list of every exact thing that David did in his life. Uh, so if you want to read more about exactly what David did in his life, go read First and Second Samuel. It's literally an account of everything that happened to David and during that time period. But the reason why I wanted to list all of these items is because the psalm that we're about to read uh, is written by David. And I think that knowing what things David went through in his life is important to understand why David is writing this psalm. So we're going to read Psalm 144. It says, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. 
He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of, ma- the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a fleeting shadow. Part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, O God, on the ten-stringed lyre. I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn your palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads, There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So this morning, I actually want to look at our passage a little bit differently than we normally would. Normally, we'd have kind of like a three-point sermon going through different like key points from this. Uh, What I actually want to do this this morning is we're going to break this into chunks and we're just going to look at what each different specific chunk looks like. And then after we go through what each little chunk might potentially mean, we're actually going to look at how all of this goes into David's life and how that applies to us. So the first little section is just verses 1 and verse 2, which say, Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples underneath me. So David starts off this psalm by praising God for his goodness. David is thanking God for providing him with the skills that he needed for going into battle, and then thanking God for keeping him safe and being the one that David could run to in times of need. David is comparing to all of these these strong things because he knows that for the most part, those things are impenetrable, and that God will keep him safe just as these objects would. David knows that God is these strong things, even stronger than things that man could penetrate potentially. Then verse 3 and 4, the next little section is, O Lord, what is man that you care for him, the son of man that you think of him? Man is like breath, his days are like fleeting shadows. So here, David then goes on to speak of the insignificance of man. He goes on, first he started off by saying how great and strong is, and then he's like, man is just kind of garbage. We're kind of just nothing. He's saying that we're flawed and fragile creatures. And even though humans are like this, God still takes notice to each and every one of his creations and provides a way. David here is pointing out the contrast between man and God, that when put side by side, we don't hold up against God because of how awesome God is. 
and because the only greatness that man actually has is an association with God. And then from this, David goes into what could potentially actually be a prayer to God, and that's from verses five to verse eight. And that says, part your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter the enemies. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are full of deceit. This is a prayer for God to come down and deliver David and the Israelites from the enemies that surround them. If you remember from, the round, from that rundown that I had of David's life, you remember that he had a number of different battles uh, against different nations and tribes. And David knew that he wouldn't win unless God was the one who was coming for them and delivering them from their foes. So David here is crying to God like, God, I know your greatness. Starts off, I know your greatness. I know that I'm weak and I'm nothing. So God, come down, because if you don't come down and help us, we're going to be wiped out. Your people, the people of Israel, are going to be wiped out if you don't come. That's what David is praying in these lines. And then verse 9 and 10 say, I will sing a new song to you, O Lord, on the ten-stringed lyre. I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Because David knows the strength and the power of God, he brings praise to him. Going through all of these things, he prays for power. He prays for God to come down with his mighty power. And then he praises David. He's like, or David prays, then praises God. He's like, God, you are so awesome. You are fantastic. So God, if you come and do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make songs for you. I'm going to write about you. And we're going to just praise you and bring joy. David also mentions himself specifically by name in this passage. Even though we already know that he's the one writing it, David mentions his own name. And this is actually to help show that salvation is received the same for everybody. It's not something that is specific to uh, social status. David is saying that even though I'm king, and as, as humans you see the king is higher, God doesn't see us that way. God doesn't see us by our social status. That salvation is for kings and all of his subjects, regardless of where you stand on the totem pole. God's salvation is for everybody. And then we go into verse 11, which is another prayer, which says, Deliver me and rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are full of deceit. This is another prayer, and it's actually a repeat from verse 7. And it's actually there to help show how strong David's enemies are, how much trouble David is in, in this, at this point in his life. It doesn't actually say exactly when it was written or what point in that timeline that I gave you it was written. But David is like, man, I have so many strong people who are around me who want to attack me, who want to overthrow me. So God, please help me. I've said it once already, but God, please come and deliver us. Because David knows that he's just not strong enough. And then verses 12 to 14. Yeah, verses 12 to 14. Then say, Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn the palace. 
Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. So these are actually blessings that come from the obedience of the covenant in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So I'm actually going to read those quickly for us. So the first one is from Leviticus 26, verses 3 to 13, which says, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees filled with their fruits. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food that you want and live in in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from your land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will, pers- you will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make your fruit you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to, when you will have to move out to make room for new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not adorn you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with him heads held high. And then Deuteronomy 28 verses 3 to 8 have a similar kind of blessing which says, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the cows of your herd and the lambs of your flocks, your baskets and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant you, grant that enemies who will rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing to your barns and on everything you you put your hands to. The Lord, your, your God, will bless you in the land that he has given you. As we can see through, exactly, amen. So because David, for the most part, had been obedient to God and followed what God had told him, he knows that the Israelites will receive all of this once they put, once God delivers them from their trials. So one thing that I didn't mention is David, each time that David would go into battle, before he would go, he'd be like, God, is this the battle that I'm supposed to fight? God, are these, are you going to help me win against these people? And if God didn't tell him that he was going to win or that he should go fight, he wouldn't. If God told him that he should go fight, he would. And because of that, he knows, God, I have followed your commandments. I've been obedient to your covenant. And I know that we will receive this blessing because God is a good God and a God who keeps his word. And then our final little chunk here is in verse 15, which says, Blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed are the people whose God is Lord. So this final statement is a statement for all of God's people, the people of Israel who we blessed because they put their trust in the Lord. It's just a simple, quick blessing for everybody that's around him. As we can see through David's life and through this psalm, 
He's been through a lot of different things in his life. He's had a lot of issues. He was a shepherd and a musician. Then he was an officer of, of an army. And then he was king. He went through a lot of trials in his life and had a lot of different changes. When David was young, he was a shepherd. He knew how to tend a flock. His hands knew how to handle a hook and a harp. So pretty simple things. David's family didn't really go to war. They weren't people who were meant to go fight. They were just the people who tended to the animals. He likely didn't grow up knowing how to use a sword and a spear because those weren't really things that David needed based on how he grew up. But God knew the things to come in his life. So God equipped David. He trained David to know how to use the sword and the spear. God gave him his ability to fight those battles. It wasn't because David grew up learning how, knowing how to do those things. In this psalm, David is personal as he lists who he found God to be. His rock, his loving God, a fortress, stronghold, deliverer, and shield. David has grown to understand God, grown an understanding of God that made it so that he knew that he could trust in God to guide him, equip him, and protect him. Both in easy times and hard times, David knew God is going to help me through this, regardless of what I'm going through. And he also knew that God would speak to him with instructions on how to do things. Just like I mentioned earlier about each time he would go into battle, God knew, or David knew that God would come and speak to him. And because of that, because of all of that, we get this psalm, a psalm where David is, procla is proclaiming the power of God and then thanking and being joyful for who God is. This all comes from a place of trust. This comes from where David trusts God. David has seen God at work before and knew that God would continue to guide him, provide for him, and equip him. God watches over David and gave him what he needed. God gave promises to David, and he kept those promises because God is our promise keeper. So what does that actually look like for all of us? Now that we've read different chunks of the psalm, we've heard it more so as a whole for, who, for David, what does this psalm actually mean for us? I know that most of us, most of us, if not all of us, have never had to fight a battle like David has, right? None, pretty much none of us have actually gone to war. Some of you might have. I don't really know your, everybody's life story, but safe bet that pretty much none of us have actually gone to war, or at least not a physical war, not one that God needed to, to teach us how to learn how to use a sword and a shield, and that God needed to send lightning against our enemies or else we ourselves would be destroyed. None of us have done that, or at least not in a physical sense. Although we might not relate to that, to the psalm in that physical sense, most of us could probably actually see how some of this would come into play when it comes to a spiritual war. So do you, do you guys actually believe that God can equip you to fight that kind of war? That God can equip you to fight a spiritual war? Amen. 
God, God can train us. He trains us and equips us for a spiritual war the same way that David was equipped and trained for, fit, for his battles. But it starts with trusting that God is on our side and that he has our backs. When it comes to walking with Christ, we have a choice. We have free will. God doesn't force us to do anything. He doesn't force anything upon us. We have a choice. And we can choose to hold on to the things that we fight for on, and try and fight for those things on our own. Or we can turn those things over to God. And when we do that, when we surrender our own personal things, our own personal baggage to God, he gives us the ability to fight the battles that we need to because God cares. He's like, okay, you've, you've given that to me. Now I'm going to help you fight. I'm going to help you win. So I remember the first time that I was doing uh, deliverance ministry, uh, which is spiritual warfare. Uh, it was shortly after I got hired here, uh, and Pastor Greg actually invited me to join him in a deliverance session with somebody. And honestly, I was super nervous. I, I had, I've had encounters with demonic things before, but I was never the person to go to war. I, I had other people come in when I, because I was pretty little. I didn't really understand what was happening. So my parents would either come in or my parents would have elders come in. So I never really fought on my own. I never had to do that. Um, but in this situation, Pastor Greg invited me to come. I was one of the people who was there to fight that war. And I had no idea what I was doing. I was so nervous that because I was supposed to come in and help somebody else fight a spiritual battle. I had no idea what to do. I didn't know what to expect because I wasn't equipped for that. It, this is, spiritual warfare isn't something that you're taught in school, believe it or not. It's, it's not something that I'm taught how to do, I was taught how to do when I was in university. But as I stepped into the meetings, each time that I stepped back into the meeting, I felt more confident because I was slowly learning that it's God who gives me what I need in those times. It's not something that I can just, you know, go to school and study or, you know, quickly read the Bible, not really fully understand it, and then be good to go. And then just this past week, or past weekend, uh, I had a really, really long conversation uh, with some students out at camp. So, I, like I said earlier, I was out at Bear Lake Bible Camp last weekend as their speaker, and I had a pretty long conversation with a couple students who had been practicing Satanism. And before, before I had started this job and before I had gone through deliverance ministry with Greg, that probably would have made me super nervous. It probably would have made me super uncomfortable because I wouldn't have known how to talk to them. I would have been like, yep, those are things that you're dealing with. Good luck. That's probably what my reaction would have been like. But because I've had some experience and because I've walked alongside somebody and I've grown to trust God in that, it actually made me super, super calm. As I was sitting with them, I was able to just listen to what they were saying, and then I was able to respond with truth and love from God. I was able to speak the name of Jesus over them. There was a couple other uh, leaders in the cabin, and I could tell one who hasn't actually walked with God and trusted him to do spiritual warfare, because this other cabin leader, he was really agitated, and he, he actually had to leave the room like midway through the conversation because he couldn't deal 
but because God has equipped me, I was able to sit, sit there and stand firm in my faith and be like, you know, I understand what you're talking about. I understand what you've been going through, but I also know the power of Jesus and that Jesus has put me in this situation because I'm able to fight against those things. When we give our personal baggage to Christ and other things that are holding us back, he comes and gives us the knowledge and tools that we need. Just like going into those situations, I was coming in with baggage, and then as I was more freaked out with things going on with Greg uh, in those deliverance sessions, I was able to slowly give that baggage to God and be like, you know what? This actually isn't something that I can do on my own. Doing deliverance ministry and fighting spiritual warfare, not something you can do on your own. Not something you can do in your own strength, so you have to surrender that over to God. So as we close this morning, I want you guys to think about this question. Do you trust God to equip and guide you the same way that he equipped and guided David? Some of you might be thinking that it's up to us pastors to equip the congregation, just like my baseball coach was trying to equip and give me tools to play my sport better. And I would say that you're right. You're right that pastors are here to equip the congregation to a certain extent. As pastors, we're here to equip you with the knowledge of who God is and the power and love that he has for you and to help guide you on your walk with God. But I'll be honest, it's actually mostly God who's going to be equipping you. Even while we're up here preaching and speaking or we're having our meetings with you one-on-one, it's God who's going to be the one speaking to your hearts. It's not going to be us. We might be the ones physically saying the words, but it's God who's taking those words and penetrating your hearts with them. Those aren't coming from us. God wants to equip you in ways that humans will never be able to. He wants to give you a little bit of his power to help you fight your battles, whether they're big battles or small battles. He just asks that you trust him to do so. Isn't that amazing, though? God wants to give you his power, the man or being who created everything that we know, every single person in this room. He wants to give you some of his power just to make your life a little bit easier because he loves you. And all you have to do is say, God, give me some of that power. I'm having some struggles. I need some of that power. Here's everything. Here's my baggage. I trust you. So God wants to guide you and equip you to thrive in your life. So if there's anything holding you back from fully trusting who God is, uh, that God is watching over you, just ask him to reveal that to you. Ask him to reveal what's holding you back from turning everything over to him. God wants to give you strength so that you can fight and win your battles. He doesn't want to see you fail. He wants to pull you through the hard times, not just bring you to them. So let's pray. Jesus, come and equip us. Give us the strength and skill that we need to fight those battles that are in front of us. Help us to trust that you will be faithful and walk alongside us. And God, if there's anything that is holding us back from trusting you in this, God, we just pray that you would bring that to light right now. 
So church, I bless you with the knowledge that God is beside you, that he is your fortress, stronghold, deliverer, shield, and refuge. Amen. So we're going to have one more song, but uh, you guys will be dismissed. If you want to go talk, you can. If you want to stay and sing, you can. Or we're going to have some prayer people up at the front. If you just want somebody to pray over you, um, just feel free to come forward. Those of you who are joining us online, I believe we have a phone number that'll come up. Um, If you want somebody to pray for you, uh, just send a text to that, that phone number and somebody will pray for you. So, church, go in peace as you go throughout this week. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ, and then make him known.